You are good? You guys doing good today? Yeah? You guys are all right? Okay. Very good. We got any football fans in the house? Yeah? Okay. We got any Seahawks fans in the house? Okay. A couple Seahawks fans. Okay. I, I heard uh, through the grapevine, through the elder grapevine, that we do have an elder who's a big 49ers fan. So I don't know if that warrants church discipline or prayer. I, I don't know. We'll figure that out at the next meeting together. Uh, no, I got a the privilege of going with my brother. My brother is a, a pretty good uh, musician in the Seattle scene and has a lot of connections up there. And so we got to go to the Monday night game versus the Lions this last week. So we go. I didn't know what to expect. We'd been to a game about two years ago. We sat in the, the red zone right above the end zone. And, and it was so loud and it was an incredible experience. So this time I was thinking, you know, maybe nosebleeds. That was pretty awesome. I didn't know what we were doing. But then we show up and I'm, we're parking where the players are parked. I'm like, what is going on? You know, we're walking on the field. We're meeting the coach, Pete Carroll. It's just crazy. This was the, it was, I was having an out of body experience. It was like really weird. It's like, this is not happening to me. This is crazy. And so I was kind of a kid in a candy shop all day, Monday. And we just had a blast together. But as I'm taking it all in, I don't know if this is the pastor in me, the elder in me, shepherd in me, but I'm like seeing the church. A ton of comparisons when it comes to the church. Everyone was gathered for football. CenturyLink was hopping because of football. We gathered there because we had this commonality of really the Seahawks. Sure, there were a few Lions fans, but we came together for this game. What's weird too is that you actually see relationship happen at CenturyLink. It's like the oddest thing. People behind you, you've never met in your life, all of a sudden are your best friends. Like touchdown happens, you're high-fiving, chest bumping. It's incredible. People you don't even know. I, uh, last, when we went two years ago, we were in the red zone and it was, we were hugging. I was like, I never met this guy. This is weird. This is crazy. But man, we were, it was like, it's like a brotherhood. We're family now, right? It's kind of very similar to what we see here. And a, a contrast was, you don't want to be a Lions fan. I mean, let's just be real. You're walking down the street. It's funny because you see, I mean, we're driving down the street and you just see Seahawk fans, right? Dressed up, jerseys looking alike. And you got like one or two Lions fans and they're going to just, you know, like you don't want to be a Lions fan. I, I'm like, hmm, that's kind of interesting. That's, that's not very inclusive. We the church, we the people, we want to be inclusive. Jesus says there's, a spot at the table for everybody because of his grace. So as I'm taking this all in, I'm going, man, there's a lot of comparing and contrasting that I'm doing at this football game. As I said, we're going to be hanging out in chapter 13 of Acts this morning. And we're going to start out, though, looking at uh, verse 25 of chapter 12. So please just... Browse your eyes back just a bit. 
It says this in verse 25, when Barnabas and Saul had finished their mission, they returned from Jerusalem, taking with them John, also called Mark. For just some refreshing and some reminding, I want to give us some background before we hit verse 1. I think it's important just to remember what's going on around this passage. We find out that Saul, Barnabas, and John Mark returned to Antioch from Jerusalem while gone on a mission. Well, what mission? Well, if you remember from Acts square one, we actually, in chapter 11, we see a few things. No reason to turn there, but let's just work through it real quickly. In Acts 11, starting in verse 19, we see that Stephen's death causes many Christians, Jesus followers, to scatter all over. Some end up in Antioch, and there they have the good news of Jesus, and so they share it. They begin to share it in the city of Antioch. People come to know Jesus. God is with them, and people come to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. The mother church, though, in Jerusalem, hears what is happening in Antioch and says, you know what, let's confirm this. Let's see that this is really happening. We're going to send Barnabas. So Barnabas goes down, confirms, yeah, this is what is happening. Jesus has shown up. I mean, God has shown up here and saved people, all right? And so a church starts out of that. In the process, Barnabas is like, man, I need some help down here. So I'm going to call on Paul, who's also known as Saul. I'm going to ask him to come down and teach. I'm going to have him here for about a year. We're going to train the saints for the work of the ministry. So let's pick up in uh, verse 27. I've got it up here on the screen Chapter 11, verse 27 through 30, it says this. During this time, some prophets, so Paul's teaching the church, but some prophets come down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them, named Agabus, stood up through the Spirit, predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. The disciples, as each one was able, decided to provide help for the brothers and sisters. Living in Judea, this they did, sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. So we find out there's a severe famine in, uh, that's going to happen in the region of Judea. Antioch wants to help those who are in God's family, those brothers and sisters in Christ. And so they drum up some gifts, and then they go ahead and send Paul and Barnabas, or Saul and Barnabas, to deliver the goods, all right? And so they send them on mission. So when we read, what was the mission? Well, that was the mission. Deliver goods to another church. And they were sent to help in a time of need. So let's pick up in chapter 13, verse 1, when they return from their mission. In some ways, they return home. At least for Paul, this was his home for the last year. Uh, But as you're going to see, it feels like they keep their bags packed. Let's look. Here we go. Verse 1. Now in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, who had been brought up with the Herod Tetrarch, and Saul. First and foremost, from this text, we see that the church is not a building. Notice the text. Does it say Antioch? There's a church with a beautiful clock tower. You enter through doors made of maple slabs and the drinking fountain has a button that you push it and coffee comes out. No, there's nothing like that in this text because the church is a people. 
I'm not sure if you guys follow Jose on Instagram, but I liked something he said this last week. He said, fortunately, the church has never been a building. Although we meet in all sorts of places and continue to build all over the world, the church is a people, a people from all walks of life following Jesus. This people called the church is diverse. This community in Antioch is diverse. The scripture says that there were prophets and there were teachers. So there are people with different giftings. First, these different people all have the same spirit, but there's different manifestations of the spirit. The two that are listed are prophet and teacher. While the prophet provided special guidance from the Lord as needed, whereas the teacher provided basic information for living the Christian life. If you're curious about seeing some more manifestations of the Spirit, Paul gives a larger list in Ephesians 4. Feel free to check it out. Um, But there are lots of ways the Spirit manifests the work of Jesus in people's lives. The other thing we see here in the church is that there's different ethnicities. Uh, Let's look at a few of them. Barnabas, he was a Jew from Jerusalem, but originally from Cyprus, which is west of Palestine. Simeon, called Niger, he was a, this is a Jewish name, but was called Niger because it means black. It is suggested that Niger was a descriptive addition given to him because he was African. Lucius was from Cyrene, which was North Africa. And then Manian is a Jewish name, but it meant he was brought up with Herod. All right, the actual meaning of this name was given to boys of the same age as royal princesses who were taken to the royal court to be brought up with them. It's interesting to see the two different routes, though, that Herod takes and Manian takes. I mean, one kills Jesus' followers. The other one is in community with Jesus' followers. Quite the difference. Quite the difference. Saul, he was an educated Jew originally from Tarsus. As you can see, this is a really mixed bag. God's family in Antioch was diverse. It's fascinating that this comes out of a listing of just five. What we find, though, is, and what we're going to see here in just a minute, is this, these five are not the only ones that are in this passage right now. Let's, let's check it out. It says, while they were worshiping, verse 2, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. What we find here in this text is that the people were together regularly. Although this text only lists five people present, that word they most likely means that there is a number of people that are there at this time of this event that we are reading. It's important to also understand that this, per, this church doesn't just meet together, they meet together regularly. This wasn't a once a month or once a quarter of rubbing shoulders. This was a people together at organized times, or at organic times. They didn't always have to call a meeting to come together. This is a characteristic of the early church. I mean, consider the background that we just read in chapter 11. Let's look, uh, verse 26, it said that Paul was teaching the people as they are together. Okay, this was 
a time when Paul gathered the people together and said, hey, this is what the scriptures are saying. This is what this means. They were together. Also in verse 27, the disciples, they were deciding how to help the help with the famine that was reported to them. And they did that together. All right. These people are together regularly. These people worshiped while they were together regularly. We see them Worshiping, And in the original Greek here, this word worship, this one right here in this passage, its original meaning was prayer. The way they were worshiping was through prayer. That's why we'll also see in verse 3, when we get here, we'll get there in just a second, it says that they had, after they had fasted and prayed. This community was a praying community and prayer is a community gift. I like what Brad House says. He says this, prayer is a gift of God's grace to us. We have the opportunity to communicate with our creator. We have the ability to converse with God, praising him, confessing our sin, asking for his provision and listening for his response. When a couple is struggling with infertility, we get to seek God for peace and patience. When a friend gets a job offer, we get to praise God for his provision When a family miscarries, we get to mourn with them and ask God for comfort. We cannot expect the spirit, excuse me, expect to be spirit dependent if we are not committed to prayer as a community. I don't know about you, but to me, this teach us to pray series has been convicting, challenging, and man, it's been tough. It's been hard. It's been hard to hear some of what has been said. For me personally, I'll tell you a few that have kind of hit home for me. One is comfort is the enemy of a praying life. That's a quote that was shared. Comfort is the enemy of a praying life. I think this can mean a lot of things for us. But number one, am I comfortable with my spirituality? Am I comfortable with how mature I am in Jesus today? I'm telling you, if I am, the likelihood of me asking God for more is very, very low. Comfort is the enemy of a praying life. In the context of community, I'll tell you, it's more comfortable for me to not share with you in my community what I'm struggling with so that you could pray for me. It's more comfortable. Comfort is the enemy of a praying life. Another one that stuck out to me was passion in prayer is tied to desperation. Simply put today, am I desperate for God? Do I have an understanding of my need for him? Am I a guy who is in awe of God, his love, faithfulness, power, and the list goes on. Bill Clem says this, somehow I think we have shrunk our prayer life to to-do lists for God. And we have shrunk our worship life in the process. Prayer is a form of worship. In the context of community, we worship when we pray and we pray when we're desperate. Are you a desperate person? Do you pray with desperate people? Desperation goes beyond a once in a while to-do list. But instead, extends into a loving relationship. 
A relationship with consistent communication where we seek him and enjoy him and ask him. Another amazing reminder that I got last week with Steve was God responds. God responds to our prayers individually and in community. Our prayers aren't void. We serve an active God. It's a simple truth. But man, do we believe it? I think Steve said this. He said, do you believe that? I feel like if we really believed God would respond, we'd ask more. How this is playing out in my world? One, months ago, Kimberly and I, we decided to to pray for the impossible. And it was cool because one time Jose asked us to pray for the impossible. And so it just kind of added some oomph to that. And so we started praying and the thing we were praying for was, God, we want to grow our family through adoption. We have no idea how that's going to be done. We want you to show up though. We want you to, two things, God, these, these would be okay. These two things would be okay. We'd love to hear from you in this regard. One, show us a birth mom who needs some help. Two, or show us a child. I'm not kidding you. We got a Facebook message from somebody saying that there's a child in need. Hello! We weren't seeking it. It was random. Really? God responds. How do we see this in community? Well, one time there's a guy and myself hanging out and we're in community together. He's in my missional community and spending time together. And he asked, can you pray for this? I pray for this for him. And then later on, a few days afterwards, I see him again and he says this, nobody prays for me like that. We never, I, I don't have a crew who prays. And I just want you to know, man, it was super encouraging. God responds. God responds. He empowers that guy. That's through prayer. It's not, I'm not trying to sit up here and go, guys, check out my prayer life. It's pretty awesome. No, what I'm saying is God responds. He's awesome. And we should seek him. And we should go after him. We should ask him. We should be desperate because he responds. Here in Acts, we see God respond. The people of the church in Antioch were praying and fasting and God responds. Look, it says, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. It doesn't say here, but in this message that was given, it was most likely given by one of the prophets that was present. God responds by sending two leaders on mission, on mission to the work that God had called them to. Look, verse 3. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. The church, the people listened. Don't miss this. They heard God. They proactively wanted to see if he had anything to say, and they heard from him. They spent time listening, but it didn't end there. Their listening led to action. The church is never 
a parked car. The people are never a parked car because we've been given an engine. That engine, so to speak, is the Holy Spirit, who is the power to keep the mission of God in motion. God responds and people take action. Their action was sending. Kimberly and my, our action is just to be faithful to God. Yes, we got this message. I have no idea if this is the child that God wants to grow, how he wants to grow our family. I don't know. But I'm telling you this. We're taking steps of faith. And be quite honest with you, it's made our life way more crazy than I would have liked. But we're trying to take steps of faith. Here, the people, the church, are taking steps of faith. They're sending. All right? And here's the, here's the crazy part about it. It's not like they're sending their JV team. They're sending their key leaders to go. They're key people. Friends, I'm going to be straight with you. I love it. I love it that Sunset sends Jose. What God's doing is awesome. It's incredible. (laughs) And I've never heard from you like, dude, I can't wait for Jose to get back because Kenny, man, he struggles up there from the pulpit. (laughs) Like, thank you. I mean, you guys, you're supportive of this. I love it. I love that we send like one of our key leaders here to mission. So they sent him and the sending off was a ceremony. It was an act of blessing in which the church associated itself with them and commended them to the the grace of God. This association was a, we are with you. So the church at Antioch, they put their hands on them and they say, we are with you. How are they with them? Well, one is they are with them sacrificially. There was a lot of work still to be done in Antioch, but God asked the church to release their key leaders. To their credit, the church did so with no apparent hesitation. That is how important the obedience to the Spirit was to them. Sacrificially, they see what's happening outside their city as part of God's mission. We want to continue to be that kind of church. There will always be more to do in the Sunset Corridor. But man, we never want to lose sight. We never want to stop planning churches, doing evangelism. We never want to do that because... Mission is not local or global. Mission is both. Mission is both. We also see that the church in Antioch, they were with them financially. What that means is that they gave them cash. They gave them food. They resourced them as they said, we are with you. Go on mission. We're with you. We got your back from a resource standpoint. We also see that relationally, they are with them. They don't just kick kick them to the curb and say, hey, good luck. Heard from God, good luck. No, they actually are praying for them. Plus, they're expecting a report. Hey, you you better get back here. And and what we're going to find in Acts as we jump back into square two is that later on, they are going to actually come back to Antioch and they're going to give a report of all that God did while they were on mission. Lastly, we see that the association um, didn't just mean we are with you, but it also meant, hey, here is a specific task. Here is our expectation. Go and do this. So as we have looked today at the biblical narrative here in 13, 
we have seen a church, a, a people who are diverse, but united. Despite similarities or differences, they are together because of Jesus. Jesus was the one thing they always shared. We also see that this people sought God together in prayer. We also see that this people was a learning people. Specifically, back in 11, we saw that Barnabas retrieves Paul for the purpose of teaching the people at Antioch. It was their, I mean, for instance, it was their grow and theology studies, you know? That was their version of this. We also see that this people is on mission. They joined God in what he was doing. They heard him and followed in the direction he was pointing. So what does this mean for us? How do we see these characteristics playing out here at sunset? Where do we sit as the church, us, the people? First, I want you to know that we, the leaders, myself, the elders, the staff, we really, really think that if the only time you're rubbing shoulders with other Jesus followers is here on Sunday, you are missing out. There is far more, you have far more to experience. You have greater life to get. I like the, the quote from, another quote from Brad House. He says this, we are the body of Christ created in the image of God who exists in community. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit eternally existed in relationship with one another as one God in three persons. God is a relational being who created us as a relational beings so that we could image him. As a community, this means that we are to reflect the goodness of God and preach the gospel through our lives together. This means loving one another, forgiving one another as Christ forgave us, calling one another to confession and repentance for the purpose of reconciliation and challenging one another to live for God's glory. Each of us needs community. We were built for it. That's why Sunset is a church that gathers and a church that scatters. We have communities spread all over the Sunset Corridor because it's important to follow Jesus together. Our communities share a DNA here at Sunset, and that DNA is family, disciple, and mission. Let me just walk through them real briefly with you. Family, what does that mean? What does it mean to be family? Well, um, first of all, I think some of us may come from dysfunctional families, and so it's good to talk through this. Some of us may be like, you want me to practice family with, this, with these people? Do you know my family? Right? You know, so let's walk through this real quick. What does a family of Jesus followers look like? Well, family does life together. They spend time shoulder to shoulder. They eat, drink, laugh, pray, worship, work, and play together. A family is warm, affectionate, and inclusive. The door is always open to someone with the same last name. A family is open, honest, and authentic. They don't live alone or in isolation. When one, one member does well, they throw a party. And when another is suffering, they all grieve together. 
And when somebody is off track, this is a really easy one. They call each other out, out of love. A family shares resources. Those who have more share with those who have less. Those who are older and wiser teach those who are younger and not as, and not as wise. And those who have energy and time to, to pitch in and help out. And above all, this family is marked by love. There's also a discipleship element to these communities. And that is we aim to live as followers or apprentices to Jesus, to learn his teaching, not just so we know the right stuff, not just knowledge, not just soak up the the knowledge, but that we can live the right way to become more like Jesus and to carry on his kingdom vision for the world. We also see an element of mission in these communities. Join God in restoring all things to himself. We seek to share the good news in word and deed with our, our bigger community, the Sunset Corridor. We seek to see glimpses of the kingdom now as we wait for Jesus' return. I must say, all of this can, can kind of feel overwhelming at times, but I want you to know that in the story we just read, it didn't seem like it was overwhelming to this crew. They just did their thing. They, they worshiped, they prayed, they sent gifts. We have got to fight the feeling of guilt. We've got to fight the feeling, I'm not doing the right thing, man. I'm not in community, man. Oh no. Kenny's hitting me with the community stick. No. We've got to fight this, friends. At the same time, though, I think that it's really, really important that you know that we as leaders, we don't expect you to be operating fully in all of what I just said tomorrow. I think, though, that it's fair to say our hope is that we see you grow in these identities We want to see you experience life in Jesus more. And so I think we can grow in these identities. I think that the Spirit is in work in all of us who have trusted Jesus as our Lord and Savior. The Spirit is at work and He can like grow us in these things. We're all in process. And so that means really our communities are going to be in process. We can always be more Jesus-like. So are you in a consistent relationship with other Jesus followers? Are you tied to a family of missionary disciples? If so, great. Awesome. I'm going to celebrate that with you. I I, I talked to one of our leaders here recently, and what God's doing in their community, I'm stoked about. I'm, I'm so excited. But here's the thing. There's some things that are like, we could get better at that. And I was like, who cares? Let's grow in that together. But you know what? I'm going to sit there and I'm going to rah, rah, rah for the things that God is doing. I'm not going to be like, "Mm, actually, let's not look at that stuff. Let's talk about what you're not doing. (laughs) No, I want to celebrate with you. But at the same time, God's grace is this. God's grace is he doesn't want to just keep us where we are. He wants us to grow. He wants to grow us more in who he is. And have us reflect more of his image. So we all can grow 
in these. So if you're not, then you're invited. If you're not in community, if you're not walking with other Jesus followers, if you're not having consistent relationship, then you're invited. So what are the best ways or the ways to find community here at Sunset? The first one is this. Basics is the best way. We're trying something new, and that is this. We want you to come to basics. It's a two-week class. The first week, we talk about theology distinctives. We talk about the vision of Sunset. We talk about where we've been, where we're going, all of those things. And um, the second week, we talk about our communities. Now, first week and the second week, you go through that. We want you to say, hey, I want to take next steps. If that's you, great. If you're like, you know what? Not ready to take next steps. That's okay too. That's okay too. But if you are, I want to take next steps, then what we're going to do is actually take everyone in that class through a community practicum. Meaning we are not just going to talk about what we do. We're actually going to do it. And I'm just going to be straight with you. It's going to be hard because I just walk through what community is. Oftentimes I talk with people. They say, hey, Kenny, I want to be in a a community. And what ends up happening, I'm, I'm bummed about this, but they just show up to just get. And that's so opposite of what I just talked about. A lot of what I talked about was giving. So the first night when we do a practicum, I'm going to ask people to host. What? Yeah, I am because that's what we do as community. Our doors are open. I'm excited about what God will do through our basics. That's the best way. That's the best way. Another way, this one doesn't work for you. We are, by the the start of this next week, going to have a map online that will show you all of the current communities that we have throughout the Sunset Corridor. You can click on one of those, fill out a form, and receive an email uh, from our leaders just giving you whatever details you need. Um, And we just want to invite you to check those out. Check out those ones that, and see, see if it's a great fit for you. Man, again, see, see what you can show up and give. That would be amazing. See what you can do to be a part of what that community has going on. Maybe you can help with what they need to, to grow in. I'm excited about these two things. So here at Sunset, that's how you get into community. That's how you... Figure it out. If you have more questions about that, please email or talk with me at any time. I'd love to answer any questions, but we try to make it as straightforward as possible. So cool to see what God does in Acts. So cool to see what God's doing here. But as we press more into Acts in this, you know, restart, start back up our, our series in Acts, we are going to see that the church spreads across the world in one generation. And are you ready to be that kind of people? We want to grow this year in in prayer so that we can live radical, generous lives. A people who want to help others experience life in Jesus. Where are you right now? As the band comes up, I'm going to just ask um, you this one question. Where are you on a one to 10 scale when it comes to being a disciple of Jesus, when it comes to thinking through the things we talked about this morning, where are you? This isn't a test. Well, 
Okay, sort of it is. But where are you? Evaluate that. Just, just please, just, just bow your head. Take some time right now as the band plays. Just to evaluate this. What is God? What is maybe the Spirit saying to you this morning? What can you grow in? What identity can you say, man, God, please help me with this? Here's the cool part. If you're sitting there right now and you're saying, man, man, there's some things that I really, I am celebrating. But man, there's this, there is this area where I'm, God's really speaking to me that I could grow in. Here's the good news. Jesus died for that. But as I said earlier, his grace is greater than just wanting you to stay there. He wants to help you by the power of his spirit to grow where maybe you're, you're lacking. In a few minutes, Brandon's going to lead us in communion. And that time at the table, that time of drinking and eating is a time to remember what God has done. God came and initiated love and took care of our shortcomings. We can celebrate that today. And we can also ask him to grow us where we're not. So please take a few moments just to evaluate in your heart and with God where you are.